0: On the Joey Ramone, for a bit of a rabbit and pork, I have Australian Music Royalty, Mr Eagle Rock himself, Ross Wilson. Welcome to 3MDR and Harmonica Riff Raff, Ross. Thanks, yeah. Ross, if I can, I would like to take you back to the early (coughs) 60s, when your journey with the instrument that fits (coughs) in your pocket first began.
1: Yeah. Well, it all came about after I had an accident. I was hitchhiking and uh, got out of the car and didn't look, both ways properly and got hit by another car. Yeah. So that was sort of around the start of the school holiday. Of yeah, uh, I lose track of it, but I think it might have been like the summer of seventy. Oh, sorry, summer of sixty-three, sixty-four. Yeah. So that summer, I was I spent with my leg up in hospital because in those days they put you in track. And at the, there was, of course, Beatles were all over the radio at that stage. And I remember while I was in hospital seeing a picture of this new group the Rolling Stones. So the Stones are sort of just started to come around as well. The other thing that was happening at that time was that there was a lot of harmonica on pop songs. Like mm-hmm. the Beatles used it all the time, you know. Yeah. And then the Stones had it. And yeah. then Manfred Mann, early Manfred Mann, I really liked uh, Paul Jones and what he did. But so when I got out of hospital, I was recuperating at home, I couldn't go back to school for till it was, Sort of end of first term or something, and I asked my dad to buy me harmonica because mm-hmm. I didn't know much about them. Yet, yeah. what I, I I had seen, you know, a few album covers. So he got me um, a a C hona of some sort, and I started to, you know, copy things I heard on the radio, like you know, da 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 and all that stuff. And the Beatles, da 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 da. Well, I picked that up really quickly, and I was also before that, I I was aware of, like, blues music and that, and there was a few shows on television. There was a, an English show called, I think it was called Hullabaloo, not like the not the American Hullabaloo, another one. And they had a lot of um, visiting blues guys on. It was like Alice, Alexis Corner was the host, I think. And so they had a good house band with Sewell Davies in it, and I was hearing a bit of harmonica there and going, well, that's pretty good. And then they had these visiting blues guys on. So I was kind of getting into it, and I'd always liked, I'd always liked, you know, the more harder read rock and roll and R and B as well. So I started to muck around, I started to buy more blues records and and uh as luck would have it, with the British R and B boom that was going on at the time, they started the English labels started to release things in in the UK. So there was one fantastic compilation of Excello tracks yeah. with Slim Harpo and all you know. Lightning Slim and all these guys and, and Lazy Lester's playing and yeah. everything and that. And uh, I had that and I just, like, copied. It was a very influential record. I mean, half the bands in, in England covered songs from it. You know, it was King Bee and Nag and all these songs that popped up on various people's albums later. Uh, so I, I really got into Lazy Lester. So cut a long story short, by the time I got back to school, I was actually, you know, blowing a few good notes and started to gravitate towards the kids who were, like, into music and that, which I already was, like, they were my friends at school, you know, cause, yeah. uh, but I was also hanging around with the surf guys. Well, the surf guys, I sort of moved away from them because I couldn't surf anymore. I was never any good anyway. without a broken leg, so that was the other question. All right. And started to get, hang around with all the music kids, you know, and that's how it came about uh, that I, when I lived in Hampton, and my friend, my good friend, who uh, oh, was a bit older than me, uh, uh, Keith Glass, who you would know, yeah. came to uh, the Rising Suns and then, uh, you know, camped and then ran Missing Link Records, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. um, and managed the birthday party. I mean, he, he's a, he was always on to whatever was happening next. He was about two years ahead, of everybody So So he had a band, and they were playing, like, stone songs at this tiny church hall in Brighton, and we all went along, you know, to have a bit of fun. And there was a band of younger guys playing before that, just playing instrumentals. You know, back then, instrumentals were still a big thing with, like, Shadows and Atlantics and all those instrumental groups. And I sat in with Keith's band on a few of the Stone songs, like uh, King Bee. you know, and I'm droning away on King Bee on harmonica, and they came up to me afterwards and said, um, these other kids, gee, you know, we want to play music like that. That was really good, heart playing, um... Can you sing? You know, and I went, yeah, I can actually, mm. um, because I'd been in school choirs and you know whatever, and I was always singing around the house and copying things. So yeah, you know, yes, I could sing. So I went down to the Ross garage the next Saturday. They already had a singer, <laughs> one. and I sang and played a bit of harp. But okay, I'm in and he's out. <laughs> so that's the band that Thanks became the pink finks and so that was it I was playing all the time from that point on Started to get a, a, a lot better at what I
0: was doing so can I go back to your sort of learning of that harmonica when did you sort of like bending the notes and realizing it was cross harp that the blue stuff was playing yeah when did that come into well you... the
1: cross harp thing took me a little while to kind of I think I heard about it from somebody you know like that I was doing everything from, by ear. So if I heard a, a record and it just happened to be in, and I started buying, of course, another couple of different keys. So, you know, and I used to get them from uh, Lewis' in, shop in town. Right. And uh, I've still got some of those, and it's got written on them 12 and 6. So it cost 12 shillings wow. yeah. and six pence, you yeah. know. And they're like 65 bucks or something. <laughs> anyway, so I, I used to get, I had, so I had a few keys and I figured all out, but I've got a very good ear so I was able to like going well that, that note is you know how do I get that and I would suck in there and I just somehow started to get it you know I was just because when you're like well, I think I was about 15 or something you know you're just sort of sponging everything up you know so uh, I I know I just had an innate kind of ability and you know, it's very hard to teach these things to people because yeah. you can't see what you're doing yeah, it's, it's in your mouth I'm, I'm I go, well, you make your mouth go small so you can suck a, you know, a single note. And people go, Phew. and there's air going all around the edges and all that. No, no, you've got to not let the ear in, you know. <laughs> and then you push your tongue down to bend the <laughs> note and all this kind of stuff. And everyone goes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, right. So, but it's all just from experimentation, you know. But, uh, I mean, there were so many harmonica players around. There, was, there were a lot of, lot of albums where you could listen to stuff and, obviously, It's possible because all these, you know, hundreds of guys were doing it. So I just used to try and copy stuff. And then because I'd been brought up in a house where two things were happening. One, there was my dad had lots of jazz records and he would spend Saturday morning playing jazz while he worked around the house and, you know, and and did stuff. And so I heard a lot of improvisation. So the improvisation... Idea was also there on on guitar solos, sax solos on rock records, you
2: know, even yeah.
1: pop songs. So it was never it was never a mystery to me to go, oh well, you can take the song and you can mess around with it. You don't have to copy it exactly. So this affected the way I sing, and also I was able to just start noodling around and playing my own solos, you know, on, on uh, without having to copy anybody else. I picked it up really quickly.
0: Your style of harmonica playing, and it is your style. Yeah. Although, like a lot of us, you sort of you you look at Big Baldy or you look at Sonny Boy Williamson too, and yeah. or Howling Wolf or any of those guys. And how would you describe your style, Ross?
1: Well, of course, you pick up sort of your favourite riffs as well. You know, yeah. there's certain things like from like Lazy Lester, for instance. I mean, I think he's terrific. But I also I really like Howling Wolf. Now, you go. But when you listen to Howling Wolf, I'd say, like, nine out of ten tracks, he plays the same same solo. Yeah. But it always sounds fresh. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like a zen thing. And it's very – it sounds really simple, but it's very difficult to copy. So he's got this thing of his own, and that's, I think, the key to it all. You've got to try and get something of your own. And so the thing that I think distinguishes me from a lot of local guys, for instance, is they tend to be – single note things, but a lot of single notes zipping all around the place and probably better than I could do. Uh, but I like sticking in chords as well. So I'll have like a single note, yeah, Hong Kong on a chord. And that's partly from listening to Howling Wolf because he loves playing chords too. So you don't have to do all this show-off single note things. You, know, you can hammer a note and stick in a chord and, and just kind of make it up as you go along, but don't just do the one thing all the time, you know. That's that's the to me the key and yeah because chords are really nice for like getting a nice rhythm going like a rhythm guitar you know you go mm, da, da, da 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 da. you know I like the guy like the sort of swinging kind of stuff so, you know a bit a bit of upbeat that comes from listening
2: to a lot of jazz records. Damn it,
1: baby why 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 do you make me flip? Why 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 do you make me flip? Want you pretty baby, come on, let's take that trip You look so good, I can't help but flip You look so good, I can't help but flip Why well, won't you pretty baby come on, let's take that trip Go! Pretty baby, come on, let's take that trip Good old Shep on Harmonica Raff, Mountain District Radio ninety seven point
0: one. You're listening to Harmonica Riff Raff on Mountain District Radio. And we're having a bit of a chinwag with Ross the Boss Wilson about his affinity with that little instrument that fits in your pocket. With the Pink Finks, you I find this amazing that it was your own label and, and like you were sixteen and Hannah was yeah. a bit younger. And you released a single, Louis Louie, and it's charted and and reached yeah. number fifteen. Oh, yeah, it well, blows my it mind. Was,
1: it's one of those things where if you don't know what the rules are, then you don't sit around in the corner going, "Oh, I can't get a record deal," you know? Because yeah. we didn't have anything to start with, and we'd also had a we had a sort of little role model at our the school that I went to, which was the Red Onion Jazz Band. They were older. Oh, yeah, a couple of the yeah. guys in that band were the, were at the same school, but a couple of years ahead of me. You know, when I was in like form three or something, they were in form six. But they were playing all they were playing all the local jazz dances, but we would all go along and see them, and it was a lot of fun. You know, well, they ran their own dances and they put out their own records. So there was a whole there was a whole kind of folk and jazz scene going on where people would release singles and albums on, you know, Crest or whatever. So we just went, oh, we want to make a record. Let's go to that place where they all did their records, Crest, right? right? And hey. it was in this big old picture theatre, which is st- the building's still there on uh, Waverley Road hmm. in Melbourne, uh, sort of malvern area. It was an old picture theatre, so they'd, they'd sit up, set up the band under the balcony area, and there was some recording equipment. And you just a playing and they'd record it. So we did, but there's no overdubbing because I used to record jazz bands that just set up and play. And things were more mono, more mono then. There wasn't a lot of stereo around at that stage. It's mid-60s, we're talking about. Stereo is pretty new, you know. So we we just did what they did, set up and played. We did two takes of Louie Louie and the first one we thought was the best, so we kept that, you know. Yeah. It was just a bang off of it. And then the B-side was like... Uh, us covering the the Kinks version of Got Love If You Want It, which I, at that stage, I don't think I'd heard the Slim Harpo one. And it's got a, you know, base mistake on it. There's a few rough things where if that didn't matter. We had our B side. Chris said, We'll press it for you. It'll cost this much. We can distribute it as well to the neighborhood. Called Mojo, mojo mm-hmm. yep. I got my Mojo working, you yep. know. So we, and that was that. Mojo Double O One, you know. <laughs> no, yeah. And we we put it out, and because we had a bit of a rep around our school and and the neighbourhood where we were playing on the neighbourhood dances, they went out and bought it immediately. So it started showing up. You know, it was a real regional Bayside. You know, we're like the local heroes in the as the teen thing. And then we started to get a little bit of airplay, you know. And uh, it, you know, it, it, it hovered around. It, it was on the 3DB chart for about five weeks, and it crawled into the bottom of the the 3UZ with the biggest station. And they it got on their chart for a couple of weeks. They didn't really want to play it because it was too rough for their playlist, you know. But we did. We, we got a little bit of play here and there, and and uh, that was it. And then we got a, out of that. We got a contract with W and G, who signed up just about every act in
0: Melbourne. <laughs> right. Now I've got to talk about what I believe is the best Australian blues rock song of all time. And I think it it fits into what we're talking about here, Eagle Rock. Yeah. And, and how that it originated is. from a blues thumb and finger picking style of uh around yeah. a chord. Can you tell us how that developed
1: Well I'm a big John Mahilka fan, you know. I was like just when I found his I bought the first my first John Lee Hooker with this guy Tony Standish used to have a, a room above the terrace joint in uh, in the middle of town where they had Frank Trainer's jazz tiny place, but they had a lot of folk music there and I used to go and listen to that and then upstairs on Friday night and Saturday morning he'd have this record store. Now to call it a store is it's exaggerated because basically you'd walk up the, these rickety old stairs into this uh, room and he'd have two boxes, right, Yep. with albums in them. So he was importing albums. You know, It wasn't like now where you just download stuff at the drop of a hat. To get a new album, you had to wait. <laughs> so he would be importing stuff and, of course, depending on how many he sold, be how many he could be put. So he had folk and jazz and blues. Mm-hmm. So I bought this John Lee Hooker album. Well, it blew my mind. You know, it was one of his 50s ones where he's playing with a band and they have to follow him, so it's very quick. Yeah. But just so much energy. And I went, wow, this is fantastic stuff, you know. And the great thing about it was because of John Lee Hooker, and, and like I said, they'd have people playing with him, they who was, you know, used to playing standard twelve bar blues and stuff and he changed yeah. in funny bar times and stuff and I'd say, This is fantastic. Like <laughs> there are no rules. You can do whatever <laughs> you want. Yeah. You know, and this was a big thing. It was like help me write songs because you didn't have to just copy other people, you do your own thing. So I loved him and I and I got into that me and Hannaford sort of developed our styles together too, where he'd be like, I did this backwards, up and down stroke that he That gave me a John Lee Hooker kind of a groove. And then I was like trying to copy him on on guitar, which is, you know, impossible because he's Mm. he's John Lee Hooker, very difficult to copy. And he had different tunings and stuff that I didn't know anything about then. But I I got onto a boogie kind of thing, which is not actually what he played, but it was my approximation. I got into this thing and I could play that. Ages. and that's how I came up with Evil Rock because I was going doing good where do I go now? Dooddly, bom, 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 down to way. And so I was just doing that over and over and then because I was trying to get the finger picking thing going, I thought sort I'd of start to move on a couple of the other strings and I came up with boom which is you, you you hold the A the bottom A, you know, formation with your three fingers down there, you blink on the bottom A string you don't actually have to move your fingers around up and down the, the key, you know, the board, the fretboard. And that's because I, you know I could hardly play guitar, so I wanted something easy. <laughs> so I devised this thing where I didn't have to move my hand, my left hand, I just, like, lift the finger up every now and again, you know, the little finger would move to open up the second string as part of that that So I was actually in England at the time when I came up with that bit. And I remember going around to uh, Mick Rogers, who was the guitarist in the first session, and said, "Listen to this man. Have you heard this before? Because it seemed too good." You know, I was going like, "Well, this is really great." (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, "No, I haven't, but it's good." You know, (laughs) I go, "That's cool. That's (laughs) good. I made it up myself." I got the bulk of it happening there, and then, but I didn't write the chorus till I got back to Melbourne. I'd been travelling for a few months in between. Got back and into my old room at home and. Had a guitar and thought this song needs something else, you know, and mm. just started drumming, went bang and slammed the chorus together. It was like, you know, just really quickly. And uh, then I had a full song. But see, people like yourself have asked me so many times about that song, I've actually had to think about, well, how did I come together with it, you know? Yeah. And I realize now that that song pretty much encapsulates everything that I was into leading up to that point.
2: It's got hat-o'l.
1: a bit of John Lee hookup. It's yeah. got some Mississippi pre-war blues picking, verging yeah, on ragtime, yeah. right? Because yeah. I was—I used to listen, listen to my dad's old records. He had old, old Louis Armstrong, Hot Fives and Hot Sevens and, and you know, Boogie Woogie records and all that stuff, pre-war stuff. So it's boom. <laughs> That's raggy, you know. Yeah. I actually did a version of that on my what? acoustic album.
0: Yeah, a tributary to, album, wasn't
1: it? Just to show what it could be like. So I've got ragtime. It's got a bit of funk. It goes boom, da da All right, now to go boom first, you go down on the one. That's funk. You go boom, and then you do something. That's what funk is. Right. So James Brown, he goes boom, da da, bop 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 Right? Yeah. So I'm going... Boom, dadla, 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 dadla. Eight bars and then you start again. Boom. Yeah. There's <laughs> a hole where you go... boom And off you go. So it's got a bit of that and it's got pop. Hey, hey. And that chorus, that's not bluesy. It's a bit bluesy. Yeah. But by going to the... Hey, hey. Good old, Gee, mm. that's not a blues. Thing. No, and then a B minor, and then a D. So, and that was simply came about by what all people should should know who want to write songs. They go, kids come up and they go, how do you write a song? I so say, pick up a guitar and you start hitting it, and that's what I did. I was like, I need a chorus. Hey, hey, hey! Strumming doing the backwards strumming. How many chords do I know? Not very many. I'll try a G. <laughs> That's how it happened. Oh, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> so I used the chords I knew, and I came up with the chords.
0: Listening to harmonica riffraff on Mountain District Radio, and we're having a bit of a chin wag with Ross the Boss Wilson about his affinity with that little instrument that fits in your pocket. Got some of the songs that you put harp on over the years, and I thought we'd start with with Flip the uh, Marvin and Johnny. Yeah, and, and which that didn't have harp on it, did it? The original? No,
1: because no, because I was sort of doing what stepping in where that where the sax would normally be, right? And some of my harp. Playing comes from like copying sax things. I'd, I'd copy like uh, Lee Allen tracks and stuff. And and I just copy the sax part, you know, and and learn new riffs that way because a lot of sax riffs are really good. And the same is like hammering notes like uh, Joe Houston. Da 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 da. da. Just going and going on the same thing for ages, you know. So yeah, sax is a big influence for me. So I'd say. Tennis sax is probably my favourite instrument, and I tried to learn to play the sax once, so was too hard, you know. <laughs> yeah. But the sound of it, I love. I just love it. Pretty big influence on what I do with the saxophone, on the way I sing and the way I play harmonica.
0: Well, let's let's jump to the next one because I think that leads into the sax player that you did have, Jerry's Jump, which mm. that you wrote that, didn't you? That was yours. Yeah,
1: because we did the an EP and. Uh, the Lollipop EP and it was like the whole idea was everybody gets a go so like Gary sang a song I think and Hannah sang a song and or there was ones where we sang together you know and then there was like well Jerry was the new boy so I came up with this sort of riffy thing.
0: It's interesting I, I didn't know this before because I, I tried to do an internet search on Jeremy Noon a long time ago and I couldn't find anything and then this Jeremy Kellogg
1: came up. Yeah, that's and they- his real name.
0: That's his real name, and yeah, then because
1: he was called Jerry Noon because he was dodging conscription.
0: Oh, right.
1: So Noon was no one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was his little joke, right?
0: Yeah. So, no, the so Ripper, he,
1: he was dodging, getting called up, ah. which is a good career move. Yeah. But he he, he played on the sec, on that EP, and then he played on the second album with it, and he came on tour, and he didn't like the touring thing at all. He thought it was so we almost getting a bit out of control, you know. By that stage, and he didn't like it. So, before we went off to the States to tour the second album, because, you know, things got released a little later over there, he pulled out and we got Ian Winter on board to um, play guitar with us.
0: The Jerry's Jump, was that just like you two jamming and you just jamming and it came up? Oh, or?
1: I came up with a that, you know, that, 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 just done for that session you know Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's do something so we can feature
0: you that's what it was yeah but it was great it was fun it was good yeah. it's, over the time of doing this show too that the number of times I've come across the saxophone and the harp like well, John Mayle did it a bit
1: well these the people who did it really well locally with dynamic hypnotic yes yeah they do Jackson and Harp
0: Continental all Robert
1: the
0: time, you know yeah to go to the next one I want to go to is which appeared on the Aztec release of Your Mighty Kong which was the band after Daddy Cool which I love yeah. it's an 8 minute version of All I Want to Do is Rock oh yeah and you blowing a bit I think it was was that A or D Harp that you were playing there or something. Oh, I
1: can't remember was it? they were just recorded as sort of jamming in the studio as a warm up you know
0: so that was in the studio somewhere was it
1: Yeah, at the the sessions we were doing for that album.
0: Oh, right.
1: So the guy who was producing just clicked the switch and recorded everything, you know. Oh, I love it. So we were trying to get a handle on that song and we just kept going and going. (laughs) There's
0: there's something about that that just, I don't know, I I love it. It's raw, I suppose, in a lot of ways. Well, I was
1: a bit manic then. I was a bit, in Mighty (laughs) Kong, I was a bit insane by that. (laughs) (laughs) Daddy would be my first brush with fame. And as you know, like, when you're in the spotlight, a few people can go go off the rails because you're not used to it, you know. Yeah. So I went a bit off the rails around that time and I was a bit manic, so (laughs) uh, it's reflected in that song, I think.
0: I Come In Peace album, which came out in 2014. Yeah. And I did go to your five decades of cool uh, concert at the Palais and I love hell of a time that you did with Barnsey on that show and that, I think, are you tongue blocking when you're doing, doing your I, harmonica in that? I don't know, I don't
1: really think about it.
0: Well, you're playing chordal stuff, but it just, yeah, when that I... Yeah, sometimes I, tr-
1: I pop, you see, if you pop your tongue in the middle, you can get nice octave things happening. Yeah,
0: that's what you do, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's that's sort of your style in a way, isn't
1: it? Well, it's one of the things I do, for, you know, you, you're searching around for things to make it sound interesting. Yeah. But you see, I like... You know, I did a more rockin' version of Hell of a Time with a full band, whereas originally we did it just as a semi-acoustic. Band, and I don't think there's any harp. There's slide guitar on the original.
0: No, that's right.
1: And But you see, I used the harmonica on uh, Bed of Nail. Yes, yeah. And there's one I really like that didn't get much notice, but it's on my compilation, Best Off, I always stick it on, uh, Slave to My Emotion.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, and Primitive Love right
0: Primitive Love rights, yeah. Uh, so I played...
1: I've, I've still got the... Desire to, you know, like use it in a pop setting when I think it's appropriate. Yep. Sometimes I'll pull it out when we're, you know, we're doing it, cutting a track, and I'll say, I'll stick some harp on, and it doesn't work. It makes it sound, you know, like if you stick pedal steel on track, it makes the track sound country. So if you, sometimes if you stick a harmonica on something, it takes away its. You know, it's, yeah. sometimes it's not appropriate. Yeah, uh, but when it is, I like to use it.
0: And it can be, and this is the other thing that always sticks in my mind from that concert you did at the Palais. Have a hit song, the Nanas.
1: Oh yeah, is, yeah, absolutely. Can you relate that
0: to, to the listeners for us, mate?
1: Oh well, I've got a bit of a routine I do about it. like how all the great songwriters, when they get stuck, they just use na na na. 'Cause when it can remember it you know it just feels it like na 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 that's the beach boys yep. what about hey jude, you know. Na 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 you know, for seven minutes. But na na it's come in very handy, so when I did a new version of Touch of Paradise that starts off na 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 and uh, i get everyone to sing along and they always do
0: yeah <laughs> they sing we once, know the lyrics and
1: they know it straight away
0: <laughs> i wonder whether the 12 pound toothbrush was uh based on that no
1: no 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 it like t-rex Pop love you know they've all done it uh, and I, it still it still gets done like this i've thought sort of, i think it was a, my chemical cool romance had a song called uh nah, 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 nah. <laughs>
0: I, and that was why I was sort of saying with the na-na-na, sometimes I reckon you just throw a bit of harp on a song and uh, it it just takes, I suppose, like your good mate Mike Rudd with I'll Be Gone, uh, although this song's great. Well,
1: yeah, I think it's quite useful. Like There's a song on my um, country album, a song called Like a Cross, where I oh, yeah, did yeah. some of the overdubs at home, and you can't actually play what I played if you just try to play it because it's, it's got two harmonicas playing. In harmony with one another,
2: right?
1: But it sounds like one harmonica yeah. you know, until you review it. It tried to copy it. Say how you, yes. how did you do that? Yes. <laughs> anyway, it's quite simple. But I did. I was doing something overdubbed at home on the computer, and and I came up with that. So I can't think of too many people locally who use harmonica on songs other than like blues songs. And that, you know? mm. There's a lot of blues players, but I try to use it on songs that have got other changes in them. You know, I try to use it in other settings, and I, and I guess that goes back to what we were talking about in uh, originally about the Beatles doing. They did some really good things, nice and simple, and also Stevie Wonder, who just took it to another level.
0: On behalf of 3MDR and Harmonica Riff Raff, we thank you for your time today and your great music over the years.
1: Yeah, well, I'm encouraging uh, a lot of young people out there. I hope you, you know, pick up a harp and keep that alive.